Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of A Millennial Learns. Thank you all so much for tuning in and listening. Very, very sorry that this is two days late. Usually my podcast episodes come out on Monday. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. My episodes come out on Monday usually. I It is now Wednesday that this will be coming out, and yeah, it's just been a crazy week. Uh, again, if you're new, I am five, five weeks postpartum. So I'm really trying to figure out like how to record these podcasts and get them out on time and get in their groove and stuff like that. So I'm just getting back in the swing of things and we will soon be consistently on Mondays again. So uh, I hope you enjoyed the episode. And this is my home state. I mean, technically I've lived in Colorado for like all but two years of my life. But for the first two years, I was, you know... I was a Washington, Washingtonian. I don't know what the terms are, uh, but I am from Washington. So we go back all the time to visit some family and it's just a great state. The Pacific Northwest is beautiful. So there's a lot of good history and attractions and their state symbols are interesting. So this is a great episode and I hope you enjoy. Before we get into the historical timeline, let's just go over the basic facts, climate, geography, all that good stuff. Just lay a groundwork for where we're at. So capital of Washington, you know, you'd think from the offset that it is Seattle. It's not. It is Olympia, Washington. It became a state on November 11th, 1889, and it is named Washington in honor of President George Washington. Now, it's the only state in the Union to be named after a president. The state motto is Alki, which is an Indian word meaning by and by. It is the only state motto in the union that is not official. So there's kind of an interesting um, story between or behind the motto. It mean, like I said, it means by and by, or I will see you again, or future hope, or eventually. Those are kind of the four like translations. Uh, from that Native American Chinook word. Now, the motto, it says, Alki comes from a group of early settlers from New York who named their new settlement New York. Very confusing, but obviously it was in honor of their original New York that they were from. This new settlement did not experience very much growth. It, it kind of stalled out. Uh, and so it was renamed New York Alki or Alki Point, New York, in hopes that the territory would eventually prosper. Alki Point later developed into what is now the cosmopolitan city of Seattle. So it did end up becoming a major hub, but at first it was not looking so good. And that's why the state motto was Alki, which means, you know, eventually or future hope or by and by. Now, another thing that's a little bit interesting is the nicknames. Every state has a nickname that has is official, except for Washington. It is nicknamed, nicknamed the Evergreen State after its many forests, but again, it never became official. 
The population of Seattle or of Washington is 7.2 million. It is 22nd in population density, which I would expect it to be higher, but I guess Washington as a state is very huge and you know, Seattle's the major hub obviously, but there is a lot of rural Washington. All right, geography. Uh, so Washington is in the northwest corner of the contiguous United States. Again, a lot of this I'm just straight quoting from articles, so I will link all the articles in the description below. Uh, this is from National Geographic Kids, which always has the best geography. Um, so it's bordered by British Columbia, uh, so British Columbia, Canada in the north. Idaho is in the east, and Oregon is in the south. And then, obviously, to the west is the Pacific Ocean. The land is divided into six geographic regions. The Olympic Mountains are in the northwest corner that is bordered by the Strait of Juan de Fuca in the north and the Pacific Ocean in the west. And we will talk about that strait um, in the historical timeline. This is a wild and wet area, it says, which contains dense rainforests. Most of this region is within the Olympic National Park and experts think that parts of the park still haven't been explored, apparently. So, fun fact there. The Coast Range area is in Washington's southwest corner, and it includes forested hills and beaches along the coastline. East of the Coast Range is the Puget Sound lowlands, with river valleys, harbors, and the state's major cities. <clears throat> the area has millions of low, flattened hills here called Mima Mounds, Scientists still aren't sure how these mysterious mounds were formed. Theories range from gophers to earthquakes, it says. Puget Sound, by the way, is beautiful. We have, like, uh, cabins. Some of my family members have a cabin in Puget Sound. It is dreamy. If you are sitting in a cabin, drinking coffee, looking over Puget Sound, like, I don't think there's a better morning or a better feeling, even. It's just, it's beautiful. I love Puget Sound. Further east, you'll find the towering Cascade Mountains, which includes Mount Rainier. That is, uh, it tops at 14,410 feet, which is the fifth highest point in the contiguous U.S. Mount St. Helens is also located here, and this volcano had massive eruptions in 1980. Or, let's see. Yeah, there was one in 1917 and 1980. The Columbia Plateau is the next region. It spreads across the south-central portion of the state. It's part of the world's biggest lava plateau and includes steep, dry canyons called coolies and patches of dry lava called scablands. The Blue Mountains rise in the state's southeast corner. Also in the southeast are the Palouse Hills. Palouse Hills. I don't know which are covered in wind-blown sediment made of silt and clay. And then a portion of the Rocky Mountains sits in the northeast portion of the state. The Columbia Mountains are also a part of this region. So those are the six geographical regions. And let's talk a little bit about climate. So it actually gets the national average of rain, which is 38 inches of rain. Now, the problem is, because I was shocked by this, technically... Um, I forgot what state it was, but like some state that seems dry, actually, I think it might be Colorado, gets more rain than Seattle. It's just that Seattle 
has a constant like mist and kind of grayer days and just it's constantly raining instead of just like some a few big downpours there's just constantly mist and drizzling so you get 38 inches of rain 18 inches of snow the national average is 28 so less than average snow there are 165 sunny days and the national average is 205 so definitely more dreary than some would like uh the winter low is 31 the summer high is 79 so definitely more mild weather um the comfort index is 7.1 so just slightly above the national average so slightly more comfortable and it peaks at about 50% humidity so those are the fun facts and it is time to get into the historical timeline okay let's jump into the historical timeline now so this is from e reference desk and you know usually e reference desk like i think it compiles timelines from a bunch of different sources and a bunch of different websites into one timeline and a lot of times there's like way too much information but this one actually has a good balance of things you need to know and it leaves out things you don't need to know so I actually really like this one again I will link all of the you know links and sources in the description of the uh, podcast so you can go check them out uh, if you would like but this timeline starts in 1543 when the Pacific Northwest was claimed by Spain. So the entire area was claimed by Spain, which includes present-day Washington state. In 1592, the discovery of the Strait of Juan de Fuca was claimed by Juan de Fuca. So basically, he discovered a strait and named it for himself. In 1579, the Washington coast was sighted by Sir Francis Drake, and he claimed the coast for England. Then pretty much there's nothing on the timeline for another, you know, almost 200 years, like 170 years roughly. In 1741 to 1743, there were Russian explorers that reached the Alaskan islands and the Alaskan coast, and they start trading with the native peoples for sea otter pelts. So not necessarily directly related to Washington, but they explored the Alaskan islands and coast. 1774, Juan Perez commands the first Spanish Spanish expedition to explore the northwest coast. And, you know, he also spots the Olympic mountains. So again, more exploring happening. This is pretty late, it feels like, for all this new exploration here, but... Because it's on the the West Coast, uh, you know, everything happens a bit later. But that was in 1774. 1775, Bruno de Hezeta lands on the Washington coast and claims the area for Spain. On his return south, he sees the mouth of the Columbia River. Okay, 1778, James Cook, who is British, explores and charts the Northwest coast. So it's kind of going back and forth between... Spanish explorers, and English, or British explorers. In 1789, George Washington is elected the first president of the United States, which doesn't seem like it would normally be included in a timeline, but like we mentioned, the state is named after George Washington, so they added that as a significant event that George Washington was elected as president. In 1792, Robert Gray, who was an American, uh, names the Columbia River after his ship, the Columbia. George Vancouver, who is British, explores and names the Puget Sound 
and Lieutenant William Broughton uh, explores the Columbia River up to Point Vancouver. So everything is getting explored and named in kind of the late 1700s. 1803 to 1806, we've talked about this in pretty much every state, uh, was William Clark and Meriwether Lewis's uh, expedition. They lead the Corps of Discovery's transcontinental expedition of the lands west of the Missouri River. Uh, within that expedition, from 1805 to 1806, Lewis and Clark enter Washington and stay at Fort Clatsop on the south side of the mouth of the Columbia River. So a section of that expedition was through what is now the state of Washington. From 1807 to 1811, a man named David Thompson charts the Columbia River. So it's always interesting, these explorers, like, just a side note, everything now seems explored, like, everything's so easy now. Like, you just go and buy land that's already charted, already surveyed, probably already has a house on it, you know, and you just buy this house. But people back then... This was a fully uncharted area. They were going on a new expedition to just chart and survey and settle these wild lands that no one had ever, I mean, no European had ever seen at least. Like there were native people here, but it was completely unknown to them to go like explore these lands. You have to have such a distinct personality to want to go chart a river for, he was charting this river for four years, from 1807 to 1811. He went and charted one specific river that he had never seen before, that he had was completely unknown to them. It's just crazy that that was like, I don't know, 200 years ago, just over 200 years ago, and we had no idea what was out on this land. Anyway, it just, I have like this cushy desk job, and these all these men were like out charting these unknown lands, you know, with all the bugs. Like, I sit outside on our patio for, like, 10 minutes, and I'm like, oh, mosquitoes. I don't want to get bit by mosquitoes. Let's go inside. They were fully leading expeditions for four years to chart a river in unknown lands with all these in the wilderness with bugs and, you know, weather and animals, wildlife. It's just crazy. If you really think about it a lot, it is wild that people would sign up to do this anyway okay back to the timeline 1811 john jacob astor builds fort astoria at the mouth of the columbia river as part of his pacific fur company so again like fur trading is big in this area we've seen this with a lot of other states um but now all these you know forts and uh fur trade posts are being established at this time in 1818, the U.S. and Great Britain agree to joint occupation of the Oregon Territory, which at this point includes Washington State, what is now Washington State, I should say. 1823, the Monroe Doctrine warns other countries against attempting occupation in the U.S. claimed lands. So I'll probably do a whole uh, podcast or article about the Monroe Doctrine because um, again, I want to embed like some of these, some of these things that we encounter in the state timelines. I want to have like offshoots of, um, and elaborate more on them in either a podcast or a an article or both. So we will go over the Monroe Doctrine at some point. 
1824, the Bureau of Indian Affairs is set up in the War Department, and Russia sets its southern boundary in the Pacific Northwest at 57 degrees and 40 minutes. So, like, that's a longitude, latitude uh, line, basically. But Russia is definitely within the area and setting its southern boundary. 1825, the Hudson's Bay Company establishes Forts Vancouver and Colville on the Columbia River. In 1831, okay, hold on one second. My notes just really jumped around here. Okay, 1831, the Department of Indian, uh, sorry, 1834, the Whitman Party, including Dr. Marcus Whitman and his wife, Narcissa and also Reverend H.H. Spaulding and his wife Eliza set up mission at the junction of the Columbia and Snake Rivers. Their travel route they took there, this is very important, their travel route would later become known as the Oregon Trail and will be used by thousands of future settlers. We'll hear a lot about the Oregon Trail coming up here. Okay, in 1839, Father Pierre-Jean Desmet arrives among the Flatheads in the Bitterroot Valley. He and his staff would set up a number of Jesuit missions in the present-day states of Washington and Idaho. Again, we've heard a lot about these missions in some other state uh, podcasts. Okay, in 1841, the United States Naval Expedition, which was headed by Charles Wilkes, explores Washington. So a lot more expedition exploration happening. Seems like most of the exploration at this point had been along the Columbia River and along the coast, so this expedition seems to have explored more of Washington. Also in 1841, the Western Emigration Society, which was a group of settlers bound for California and the Oregon Territory, it was led by John Bidwell. They set off on the Oregon Trail. So again, uh, starting to really have more settlers come in by way of the Oregon Trail. 1842, John C. Fremont leads an Army Topographical Corps expedition to the Rocky Mountains. He witnesses an eruption of Mount St. Helens, which would be crazy. Mount St. Helens doesn't erupt all that often, so he must feel very lucky that his expedition witnessed an eruption of Mount St. Helens. His maps of this expedition and one of the following year are printed by the government and are widely used by pioneers heading west. So that's circulated and all these pioneers who wanted to get out west uh, use that as their reference and their map. In 1843, there was something known as the Great Migration, which was approximately a thousand pioneers which uh, headed out on the Oregon Trail. It was led by Dr. Marcus Whitman and they wanted to go settle in the area. Uh, 1844, James K. Polk becomes president of the U.S. It says among his four goals is the designation of the Oregon Territory's northern border to extend to 5440, even if through an act of war. So, yeah, he wanted to claim that whole area of land for the U.S. and was willing to go to war for it. Uh, 1846, there was a treaty between the U.S. and Great Britain to set the boundary at the 49th parallel. So we got the land at the 49th parallel. 
the Whitman mission was attacked by the Cayuse Indians in Walla Walla in 1847. And then the Oregon Territory is created in 1848. In 1851, the first settlers land on the site of Seattle. So this is kind of the backstory of the state motto as well that we had talked about already. Uh, So that happened in 1851. The Washington Territory is created in 1853. And also in 1853, it says that farmers living north of the Columbia River successfully argue for Congress to declare the region. Oh, sorry. This is kind of just the backstory of the Washington Territory being created. Uh, But yes, farmers living north of the Columbia River successfully argue for Congress to declare the region Washington Territory. It encompasses land east uh, to the Rocky Mountains that are today Idaho and part of Montana. Okay, 1854 to 1856, it just says a number of treaties are signed between Native Americans living in Washington Territory and the U.S. government. And then within that time... Uh, between 1855 and 1858, the Yakima Indian War uh, occurs. The first Northwest Railroad, the Cascade Railroad Company, begins operation in the Columbian River Gorge starting in 1858. The Walla Walla and Columbia River Railroad become the second Northwest Railroad in 1873, and a large number of local railroads subsequently spring up in 1880s. This is why this timeline is a lot better than some other ones of Eve Reference Desk. Usually they go through and say every single railroad as it opens in the entire state. And it goes on for like many, many bullet points all throughout the timeline. I like that this just says, okay, a large number of of railroads spring up in the 80s. So anyway, that's just a little side note about these timelines. Uh, 1859, Oregon joins the Union as a free state. And in the 1860s, gold and silver are discovered in Okanagan, Washington. Okay, I'm back from a little break after. It's actually been quite a few hours because basically you heard in the background that my son woke up and was crying. So I recorded that in the morning. We're jumping back in. It is now 5 p.m. So got to fit these podcasts in, you know, on the fly during nap time. That's just going to be the new normal, I think. (laughs) Um, Okay, so then the Civil War starts in 1861. 1862, Congress passes the Pacific Railroad Act, which gave Central Pacific and Union Pacific companies permission permission and land grants to begin construction of a transcontinental railroad line that stretched along the 42nd parallel. 1863 is when Idaho Territory was formed, which borders uh, Washington. 18... 64 is when Montana Territory is formed, and then 1865 is when the Civil War ends and the Union Pacific Railroad starts heading west. 1871 brought the Indian Appropriations Act, which stated that Indians are no longer considered sovereign nations, but wards of the federal government. These are like, it's like one of the things where, you know, all these, I get why people get so fired up about like how we treated the Native Americans, because a lot of times, like most times I would say, it was like we would make a treaty with them and say, okay, this land is guaranteed. And then like a couple years later, they would come in and say, oh, just kidding. We're actually taking the land, you know, same, same thing, kind of like they were considered so- sovereign nations, but now they're not, they're now wards of the federal government. 
1872, the American-British border dispute in the San Juan Islands is settled via arbitration by the German Emperor Kaiser Wilhelm. And President Grant establishes the Colville Confederated Tribes through an executive order, not a treaty. The reservation lands are reduced later that year following complaints of the Colville Valley settlers. Again, like, here's your land, now we're taking it away, sort of thing. 1883, the Northern Pacific Railroad was completed to Tacoma, which linked Washington to the east. 1886, there was a coal mining town of Roslyn, uh, which was founded, and a mine operated. There was a mine that was operated by the Northern Pacific Coal Company. All right, 1887, the Dawes Severality Act is passed. Indian lands are split into individual allotments with remaining lands becoming public and therefore up for sale. Colville Reservation begins allotment processes in in 1906. Uh, All right, 1888, Stampede Tunnel of the Northern Pacific Railroad was completed across the Cascades. And then the next year, in 1889, Washington becomes the 42nd state. This was followed shortly by Idaho, who was granted statehood the next year. Uh, 1893, the Great Northern Railroad was completed to Seattle, so Seattle is really becoming this major hub. Then we have the Klondike Gold Rush, which happened between 1897 and 1899. Seattle grew really quickly as a jump-off point for people heading into the gold field. So that was like their the, the hub that everyone kind of dispersed from to go try to find gold. Mount Rainier National Park was established in 1899. Uh, 1902, the Reclamation Service begins an irrigation project in Yakima and Okanagan Valleys to facilitate farming in the area. Uh, Let's see, the iron chink fish cleaning machine was invented by Seattleite Edmund A. Smith in 1903. Sometimes they will just throw in these random... um, like inventions and stuff, which are are pretty cool sometimes. Sometimes I skip them if they're very obscure, and that one was very obscure, but I think it is relevant because of the big fishing operations in Washington. All right, 1905, under the Dawes Act, tribal lands on the south half of the Colville Reservation, not then allotted, are declared... Wait, Okay. Under the Dawes Act, tribal lands on the south half of the Colville Reservation not then allotted are declared up for sale to white settlers. Again, it was not that great because they had already had previous treaties. Uh, The Washington State Highway Department is formed to oversee the construction and maintenance of roads and highways. That was in also 1905. All right, 1909, Alaska-Yukon-Pacific Exposition held in Seattle to showcase the Northwest setting and bounty of natural resources. So they set up this whole exposition to kind of show off the area because it's just so beautiful. Some of my family members are in the Pacific Northwest this week, and they sent pictures back of Olympic National Park, and it's just beautiful. Like, if I could live out, you know, if politically those states weren't so just wild, I could totally see myself living in, like, Seattle or Oregon or California. All of the West Coast is just beautiful, but in particular, the Pacific Northwest just has this specific charm, and they recognized that in 1909 and held this exposition. Um, Mount Olympus National Monument was also established in 1909. 
The following year, women gained the right to vote in Washington pretty well ahead of the national, you know, of the amendment passing, which passed in or was voted on in 1919, passed in 1920. So this is about 10 years before women gained the right to vote in Washington. Uh, World War One happened from 1914 to 1918. Uh, 1919, there was a Seattle general strike and there was some labor violence in Centralia. This kind of goes along with the rest of the country with like labor uh, laws and unions and women getting the right to vote. A lot of progressive things happening like in the early 1900s. Uh, the U.S. stock market crashes in 1929 and Hoovervilles appear in many cities, which was glaring evidence of high unemployment rates. I looked up what Hoovervilles were uh, just, you know, in case you're unaware. It's basically like homeless camps, kind of, uh, but they were very popular or common, I should say, not popular, common during the Great Depression because so many people were unemployed and lost their homes and things like that. 1932, March of Unemployment Groups, oh, so, so unemployment groups marched on Olympia, and that ends in scuffles between rival organizations. Washington state unemployment peaked at more than 25% in 1933, and that is when the New Deal programs started. So a dam in Washington called the Grand Coulee Dam uh, begun. 1934, there was something called the Indian Reorganization Act, which set up tribal business councils and promoted the return of the communal ownership of reservation lands to create self-sufficiency among the tribes. The Bonneville or Bonneville Dam on the Columbia River was completed in 1937. 1941, the Cooley Dam, which had started, I had previously mentioned it, uh, completed in 1941 as the U.S. was entering World War II. Let's see. 1943, Hanford Engineer Works was built to produce plutonium for the World War II bomb, Little Boy. Um, then it just mentions that Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombs helped to end World War II. I'm assuming because, you know, part of that bomb was built and produced in Washington. Uh, the first TV station begins broadcasting in Seattle in 1948. The first flight of the Boeing 707, sorry, Boeing 707, which was the first jet transport, flew in 1954. Uh, 1957, Washington's public power supply system, WPSS, was created to develop Washington's energy resources the first Seattle World's Fair was held in 1962. Uh, Microsoft was founded in 1975, which it says is a major producer of computer software, which is kind of obvious. But yeah, Microsoft was founded in 1975. The first woman governor of Washington was elected in 1976. Her name was Dixie Lee Ray. And then here we are again. I think it's like 100 years later. 1980, Mount St. Helens erupted again. Ash just was scattered throughout the state. It says it's a big deal when Mount St. Helens erupts. Okay, uh, let's see. 1996, the Washington State History Museum opened. They always have kind of weak points in like the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, 
this says like 2001, the Seattle Communist Party office closed. Um, there was a serial killer, 2003. There was a gay marriage ban in 2006, which is crazy because, you know, Seattle and Washington in general is like the most progressive state. It seems like one of the most progressive, probably California, New York, and Seattle, and uh, Washington are like politically the most progressive and still at 2006 they were banning gay marriage and it's only been like 17 years since then it is crazy the change in 17 years uh 2007 boeing unveiled environmentally friendly 787 dream dreamliner jet suddenly i'm having a hard time speaking uh, let's see. Amanda Knox returned to Washington from Italy after being cleared of the 2007 killing of her roommate. And that's pretty much it. The other ones are just kind of like tragic shootings or accidents or things like that, which I'm not going to say pertains too much to state history. So we will just skip that one there. All right, that is the historical timeline of Washington. So, very good. Let's move on to famous people. As we mentioned, Microsoft was founded in Washington. Bill Gates is from there. Kurt Cobain was from Washington. Jimi Hendrix, Bing Crosby, Chris Conwell, who I guess I don't know, or sorry, Chris Cornell. He's a lead vocalist of the rock bands Soundgarden and Audio Slave. I do not know him, but maybe if you do, that's good. Uh, Paul Allen, who is another co-founder of Microsoft and philanthropist, it says, uh, is also from Seattle, or from Washington. Isaiah Thomas is a basketball player. Dove Cameron, who's an actress. Let's see, Sydney Sweeney. Lots of people from. Washington, Hope Solo, who's a soccer player, Rain Wilson from The Office, John Elway, who is, you know, as a Coloradan, we kind of claim him, but he is technically from Washington. Um, I think he was disliked in Washington, maybe. I remember my parents do not really love John Elway that much, and I remember he came from Seattle, and my family came from Seattle also, and so... There was whole drama there. Uh, Bob Barker, also from Washington. Man, there's a lot of people from Washington. So, yeah, I'll I'll leave it there. I think we've gone through about, like, 12. So, that is... Those are the famous people from Washington. It's funny how some states that you would expect have a lot don't. And then some states... I guess Seattle is really a hub, so you would expect a lot, but there are just a ton of famous people from Washington, so I thought that was interesting. All right, let's get on to state symbols. Let's talk state flower is called the Coast Rhododendron. Uh, Washington women selected the Coast Rhododendron as a state flower in 1892. They did not actually have the right to vote at that time. But they wanted an official flower to enter in the floral exhibit at the 1893 World's Fair in Chicago. Uh, Voting booths were set up for the ladies throughout the state, and the ballots were counted. The rhododendron had been chosen as the state flower. 
Uh, and then in 1959 is when it really became official and it went through the legislature that this was the state flower of Washington. State fruit is the apple. Washington is the nation's top apple producing state. And that became a state symbol in 1989. The state grass is the blue bunch wheatgrass. Uh, it is a state symbol that is unique to Eastern Washington. That was also adopted in 18, sorry, 1989. The state tree is the Western hemlock. It says in 1946, an Oregon newspaper teased Washington for not having a state tree. So then it picked out the Western hemlock, uh, but Washington newspapers decided to choose their own and selected the popular Western red cedar. State representative George Adams of Mason County pleaded with the legislature to adopt the Western hemlock. He said the Western hemlock would become the backbone of this state's forest industry. So a little drama with the state tree choosing, but that was adopted officially and signed into law in 1947. The state vegetable is the Walla Walla sweet onion. So in 2007, it was designated as the official vegetable of the state of Washington. It is the only... It is only grown properly in the Walla Walla Valley. So very, very specific to not only Washington State, but like a very specific part of Washington State. Uh, The state amphibian is the, I am not going to be able to say this, Pseudacris regilla or regilla. It's like a frog and it was adopted in 2007. I'm going to not go too much more in depth with that one the state bird is the willow goldfinch it's really pretty it's basically all yellow with a little black on its head and wings um it eventually became the state bird but many other birds were considered for the title in 1928 legislators let school children select the state bird and the meadowlark won hands down it said it was a nice choice but seven other states had already chosen the same bird and we have definitely seen a lot of meadowlarks in these states. So um, another vote was taken in 1931 by the Washington Federation of Women's Clubs. The goldfinch won handily over uh, the next, I guess, the runner-up, the song sparrow and the woodpecker. I don't know. There were a bunch of other options, but the goldfinch won. Now there were two state birds, and the legislature decided to leave the final choice to school children. So in 1951, children voted for the goldfinch, and the legislature made it unanimous. They have a lot of drama choosing state symbols in Washington. All right, state fish is the steelhead trout. It became a state symbol in 1969. Uh, This, it just says it's the most popular fish for recreational fishing, which is a major industry in Washington state. The state insect is the dr- green darner dragonfly. It was chosen in 1997. And I believe it was also chosen by school children. The state endemic mammal is the Marmata Olympus. In 2009, the Olympic marmot, the only endemic mammal in Washington state, was designated as the state endemic mammal. (laughs) It's the only one in the state, so that makes sense. State marine mammal is the orca. Um, You know, obviously only, like, coastal states have the marine mammals. Uh, So this was chosen in 2005. 
They have a state dance, which is a square dance, adopted in 1979. Uh, state folk song is Roll On, Columbia, Roll On, obviously referring to the Columbia River we've talked so much about. State fossil is the Columbian mammoth. The state gem is petrified wood. They have a state ship, which is Lady Washington. It says it was built over a two-year period and launched on March 7th, 1989. The Lady Washington is based in Aberdeen, Washington. State song is Washington, my home. The state sport is pickleball, which pickleball is exploding right now. So this is interesting. The legislature recognizes that the sport of pickleball was created in 1965 on Bainbridge Island by Joel McPhee Pritchard, who went on to be elected lieutenant governor and member of Congress for Washington, along with two of his friends, Bill Bell and Barney McCallum. These men created the game at Pritchard's summer cabin after they persuaded their abnormally hyper children to go outside and play a few games of badminton, but there was no badminton equipment to be found. Instead, these fathers did some brainstorming and created a new game using ping pong paddles, a net, and a neighbor's plastic wiffle ball. The rules that they created for the new game, which they named Pickleball, are still used today by the U.S. Pickleball Association. So interesting, uh, Pickleball was invented in Washington State. And then there's a state waterfall, which is Palouse Falls. Now, there are some unofficial state symbols, as we mentioned, or did I mention it? I don't know. Um, The territorial motto was Alki, which means by and by. Um, But this was never actually made official. And then the Evergreen State is the, you know, nickname. It says on November 11th, 1889, Washington became the 42nd state to enter the Union. It is the only state in the Union that is named for a president. Washington was nicknamed the Evergreen State by C.T. Conover, Pioneer, settle, pioneer Seattle realtor and historian for its abundant evergreen forest. The nickname has never been officially adopted. So those are the state symbols. And last but not least, let's talk about some things to do in Washington state. This is from the website, The Crazy Tourist. So I already mentioned Olympic National Park, but it is a great place to go and get all your fill of nature. It is just beautiful from the pictures that I have seen from the fam who's there right now. We have Mount Rainier National Park, which is, you know, you can see Mount Rainier. So another just very, very beautiful nature filled spot. You have the Space Needle. It's 520 feet high or at the observation deck. And so you can see like all the natural landscapes and the cityscapes and panoramic views. Now, interesting fact, maybe not interesting, but I'm from Seattle. My family's from Seattle. We've been like a million times. I've never done the Space Needle. I've never gone up in it. So kind of a bummer. Maybe I should do that next next trip in. Um, you have the Seattle Center, which is like just a mix of parks and attractions, it says. You have Pike Place Market, which is always a hit. See them throw the fish at the fish place. And we always get like these huge bouquet of flowers that are so cheap. Like if you go to Costco here, and even Costco has better prices. But if you go to like King Supers here, you want a bouquet of flowers, it can cost you like 25 bucks for just kind of a, 
I would say between 15 and 25 bucks for just a very small set of flowers, a small bouquet. At Pike Place Market, you can get a huge bouquet of flowers for like 15, 10, 15 bucks. It's amazing. You have Pioneer Square. It is a historic district in Seattle, which is regarded as the city's first neighborhood. You got Lake Chelan. I think I'm, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's a big lake and it says it's regarded by locals as George Washington's playground. You can swim in the waters and wine taste. And so there's just a lot of different things you can do. There's a Seattle Art Museum, North Cascade Scenic Highway, Lots of nature stuff, but also plenty to do in the city. Like, Seattle has just amazing food. Again, the Pike Place Market. Like, there's a bunch to do in Seattle. Also, Starbucks, the first location of Starbucks is in Seattle. So, that's always fun to go to. Um, But, yeah, just tons of nature, but also tons of city. Honestly, if I could live there, if, like, (laughs) taxes weren't crazy and laws weren't crazy, I feel like Seattle is a great place to live. Not that much sun, though. My family moved out here because they wanted more sun. So uh, can't can't buy that, you know. There's only so much weather that some people can put up with. So uh, anyway, that is all for today's episode. Thank you all for listening. Sorry this is a couple days late uh, in going up, but I am trying to get in the groove still. So we're getting there, and I think we're just going to do it in between during nap times. So anyway, that is all for this week's episode. We'll see you next week for another one. I'm going to intersperse some of these other ones. Definitely my state episodes get like the most views or listens, I guess is the right terminology. So people are like in the historical timelines of states for sure. I am going to throw in some other topics that I've researched, like the history of planes and aviation, and then like some faith-based ones, I think. Um, but we will definitely sprinkle in these last eight, uh, state history episodes. And then after that, I think I'm going to start sprinkling in like president history, like giving a a mini biography of each president, because that is very intriguing to me. So that is all. And I will see you next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you have a great week. Talk to you later.